Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. You could also see rockets take off from Cape Canaveral, particularly in the evening. You can see the flares. Uh, So there's an outdoor roof terrace looking, I think that's in the southeast direction, from the student union. So you get yourself a cup of coffee, you go outside, and you look at the latest thing that NASA is sending off from Cape Canaveral. Again, this came out of conversations with students that we learned about the things that interest them and then created a design around those interests. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Cherise Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guest today is Joseph Titoni, FAIA, Founding and Design Principal at Icon 5 Architects in New York. Joe's ability to bring innovative ideas to a client's problem has produced some of the firm's best award-winning work. He believes that every project is an opportunity to explore the power and art of architecture and works tirelessly with clients to develop the best solution for their needs that is at once inspiring and functional. He has designed a wide range of projects, including libraries, academic classrooms, professional schools, corporate offices, and performing arts centers and museums. Joe is a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. He received his Master of Architecture from the University of Virginia and a Bachelor of Architecture from Catholic University. He has served on student juries at UVA, Maryland, Penn, Drexel, and NJIT. The incredible project that we are talking about today is the Mori Hosseini Student Union at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. The 177,000-square-foot avian-inspired student union combines a variety of social and learning spaces. A soaring, triple-height commons integrates each environment, creating a place to see and be seen. Long-span trusses create a clear and column-free, uninterrupted event center, 
which can accommodate events for up to 900 people. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com podcast. Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University serves a diverse student body of approximately 6,700 undergrads and 800 graduate students from 50 states and nearly 100 countries. When it comes to the Moria Hosseini Student Union, it is arguably the statement piece on campus. As you approach the campus, your gaze is immediately drawn to the awe-inspiring structure that stands as the university's front door embodying the spirit of aviation and aerospace. Gorgeous, world-class, and iconic are just a few of the sentiments shared by local campus and political leadership. The inception of the $75 million, 177,000-square-foot building began eight or nine years ago with conversation amongst university leadership. The former student union was a small and outmoded facility that no longer supported growing student enrollment and diverse student activities available at the university. The leadership initiated a competitive process, inviting architecture firms to submit proposals for a new vision. They had gone out to, I think originally, somewhere between 15 and 20 firms And they invited those firms to submit proposals, just sort of straight proposals like you would do for any project. And then they culled it down to about four firms. It was four firms that they invited to come to campus to interview with members of the board of trustees and the administration of the school, university. And they asked us to talk about what ideas we might have for this building. They didn't ask us to actually necessarily design anything. They gave us a site and they didn't really give us a program. They gave us some idea what might be in the building, but they wanted ideas. They wanted to know how would you think about this for them? And we went into that interview with four different approaches to their inquiry none of which were built. So what's built is completely different than our original four concepts or ideas about it. And that came out of you know the back and forth of the campus engagement, the students and all of that. But that's how the project initiated. It initiated with them going on a national search, calling it down to four, and then us coming in with these four very abstract, very raw kind of physical models that we placed in the center of the table. And what the interesting psychology that went on between the board members was that they started engaging in a conversation between themselves about the project. And our four rough little models ended up being an avenue for them coming together, thinking about, oh my God, this is really something special we're doing here. And they started asking each other questions. And I think that had a lot to do with us getting the project that we ended up being a catalyst for them visioning something maybe greater than they originally thought. And these four, not very well built, but good enough little models on the table helped them get to that point. They absolutely crushed it. From the beginning, Joe, Arvin, and Charlie 
really demonstrated an understanding of us and what we were trying to accomplish with that building. And, you know, we kept coming back to creating the heartbeat or the home or the center of campus, and they did an amazing job. This is Rodney Cruz, the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. We began with one end in mind, and that really is to create a platform for very special student experiences. The, The vision for us from the beginning was for us to create a center, a heart of the campus, and we've done it with the Morrisaney Student Union Building. With a mission to create a heart for the campus, intrigue from various departments on campus loomed large. One of the challenges was, who do you put in the union building? And that sounds like a small challenge, but when every single department on campus wants to be in the union building, it becomes a big challenge. And Joe and Arvin were masterful at helping people understand that we're going to listen to every we're going to listen to all of these stakeholders but ultimately the program of the building the cornerstone program that we held to from a priority standpoint was everything in the union has to be something that everybody will use not that everybody can use there's a difference because we put a, put a lot of things in there that everybody could use but we put things very specifically in the student union that everybody will use And again, you know, Joe and Arvin and the team did a phenomenal job of helping us navigate that very difficult project. And then, you know, there's other things as far as size, scope, budget, you know, all of the other things that come with complex construction projects. Insights from stakeholders, as well as the university's mission itself, inspired the design intent and ultimate form of the building. The design intent really was that the building needed to communicate or express the mission of the university. The mission of the university is very simple. It's to teach the practice, the science, and the business of aviation and aerospace technology, which is very complex, but the mission is very simple. And so if you think about it, This building is situated right as you enter into campus. So you come off of the main road in Daytona Beach and you're entering campus. The site is right in front of you. This is what you would see. So it was important, at least for us and of course for Embry-Riddle, that the image of the building portray their mission somehow. So flight was it, flight of space, flight here on earth, whatever. And the building needed to do that. The other thing was that when we talked to students, and we did this in our kind of campus engagement piece of this in the very beginning as we were programming the building, I can't tell you how many times we heard from different students that they love to look up to the sky all day long as they're walking around. And it occurred to me, we do a lot of college and university work that usually on campuses, students are walking with their heads down, going to their next class, thinking about their next class or whatever. And on this campus, the students are all looking up. And there was a certain sense with this student group, since this was their home, their student union, that they were fearless, that they all conveyed a sense of discovery and exploration. They were very adventurous 
people. I think that's the kind of character and the nature of the people that end up going into aviation and aerospace technology. So the building needed to express that in every way possible. In our particular case, that came about by using structural steel and glass. Glass, because the students desire to always want to look outside and see the sky. And we did consider other support in place concrete. We considered a whole different series of uh, structural systems before we decided steel, because steel allowed us to basically convey gravity and lateral forces, but with sculptural form. Many, many other systems are not as forgiving. I mean, you can bend steel many different ways, and it's still conveys gravity and lateral forces very efficiently. And you can see that how we did that on the exterior of this building. All those expressive arc forms that are holding up the building, they're not decorative. They're actually doing significant work on the building. Inspired by the gracefulness of birds in flight, the building's design is a harmonious blend of form and function. It's a steel and glass sculptural form building that I think I would characterize as emulating a bird in flight. So kind of think about some kind of avian form made out of glass and steel that I think the experience of what you see externally and what you experience internally is one of kind of upward movement. At least that was our idea in putting this together. So when you're inside the building, um, you're encouraged to look up because the ceiling inside, or at least a large portion of the ceiling inside is glass. And on the outside, all of the structure is used to look like the building is actually not anchored to the ground and doesn't weigh what a building weighs, but looks like it could actually lift up off of the earth. The avian-inspired structure serves as a testament to resilience, addressing the challenges of Florida's climate and hurricanes. When we decided that the building was going to be primarily glass, we had an automatic challenge or hurdle that we put in front of us. This is built in Florida. Florida has intense heat. So we had to be able to reduce heat gain on the building. That was number one challenge. So we decided that we can do that with both glass technology, as well as with the building form itself by having deep overhangs. But as soon as we expanded the roof to shelter the glass and to still give views out to the sky, we had the second Floridian challenge of hurricane and high winds. So the exterior of the building, those two arcing forms of steel with all of the struts that go up to the roof that kind of give it that avian form or in your eyes, the stealth form is actually keeping the roof on the building and keeping it anchored in high winds and hurricane. So that both of those things are reducing heat gain on the building and uplift from wind were two challenges that are expressed in the architectural form of the building. 
The journey of creating this architectural masterpiece was one of collaboration and innovation. It was a challenge that the engineer, Thornton Tomasetti, was juiced up to tackle. Because it was a challenge and because they knew that the structure was going to be also the architecture, they were totally into it, which helped because they were very inventive and creative in how to think about solving the math, which architects you know, aren't that great about, but engineers are fantastic with. When actually the skeleton of the building is exposed and that it's a major feature in the architecture, it juices you up. Right? Because everything you do and everything you detail is there, is exposed to you, and it's there to be seen. It's there to be commented on. It's there to be criticized. So it takes an extra level of, of care and detailing everything you draw and everything you do, the, the bolts, the, the welds that has to be proportional, elegant, and it has to match the vision of the architect. And during the interaction we had with Agrofive, we had a lot of that. They're very brilliant and practical architects at the same time. So we, we are able to come up with aesthetically pleasing details to expose this beautiful structure. Chris Christoforu, PE principal at Thornton Tomasetti, shared his insight and perspective on the project. Because of its iconic nature, a lot of cantilevers and a lot of, there's nothing really straight, everything is curving. Often it curves in both directions. It's not a cylinder, it's like a cone sort of curvatures. And it's also a building that had to be, because of its location, right? It's in Daytona, waterfront. It has to withstand, you know, the hurricane winds we're getting in, in Florida. So a lot of analysis that went into that to make sure we come up with a structure that's robust enough, but yet elegant and light enough to achieve the original goal. Stepping inside the Mori Hosseini Student Union is an experience like no other. With this expansive space, students find a variety of seating arrangements, ranging from library-style tables to plush lounge areas. The building's organized around a three-story Athenaeum Commons which is an open space that has a variety of open seating. And every space internal to that opens up onto it. And those are things like lounge spaces, gaming rooms, student organization offices, dining, which is an enormous component in this building and includes many different kinds of dining, a Starbucks, everything that you would have in a student union, the event center, the University Library is in this building, which is interesting to me how important that was that the library, it's unusual that you would put a university library in your student union, but the students wanted that, wanted it that way. So all those spaces open up onto this big central open space that we called the Athenaeum. And the reason we called it the Athenaeum was because it really was a social and intellectual collector for the entire campus. There's also classrooms in this building. So every student at least once a day, and it's usually more than once a day, is going through this building, walking through the Athenaeum. Because of that, they have an enormous opportunity to have these productive collisions with other folks at the university going to and from class, going to and from their organization, going to and from the library. I guess 
that space to me is probably my favorite space because it is made up of a variety of kinds of seating. So in that big open space, there's some library table seating, there's some soft lounge seating, there's some individual seating. So every student, no matter who you are, the idea was and is, can be feel comfortable there working alone or working together amongst everybody else. As Joe noted, the sprawling university library was a critical programming element for the students. Aeronautic students, they describe themselves as having very intense periods of study, either by themselves or together, working on whatever, physics, math, engineering problems. And they get to a point where they need to take a break, where they just want to break from it for a short amount of time, and then come back again. This is like a cyclical everyday event. It's not like this just happens during exam time or this happens at the end of the week. They work on a lot of projects together collaboratively. Those are happening in the library. But then they want to break and go get something to eat, or they want to get a cup of coffee, or they want to go to the gaming room and there's a big electronic gaming center in this facility, or they want to go to their club and have a half hour meeting in the middle of the day with their club or organization. So they advocated very strongly, the administration supported it, that the library be in this building. So the library is on two floors. There is a security gateway you have to go through, just like in any library, and it's acoustically separated from the rest of the cacophony of the student union, but it is visually there. So if you're going to the library, you're walking through the union, through all these other spaces to get to the library, which is on the top floor that has the glass roof that I talked about before. So as you're sitting there working through these very intense problems, you could look up at the sky. And I didn't mention before, this campus is directly adjacent to Daytona Beach International Airport because the flight component to the school shares the same property as the international airport. So when you're there, you're always seeing planes take off and land at a very close distance to the ground. You could also see rockets take off from Cape Canaveral, particularly in the evening. You can see the flares. Uh, So there's an outdoor roof terrace looking, I think that's in the southeast direction, from the student union. So you get yourself a cup of coffee, you go outside, and you Look at the latest thing that NASA is sending off from Cape Canaveral. Again, this came out of conversations with students that we learned about the things that interest them and then created a design around those interests. Inside, finishes and specifications were carefully curated to create an atmosphere that inspires and supports learning. All of the floors are either terrazzo or carpet, mostly terrazzo because of the high traffic. And they've been designed with patterns and colors that invoke uh, space, air travel. We ended up using an acoustic plaster on the ceiling of all these spaces in the big open space. And that was really our only way in a place that had so many hard surfaces, either because they're glass because you want to see through, or hard floor surfaces because of the foot traffic, the only way that we can control the sound was with the acoustic plaster. And then we ended up designing the ceilings with the acoustic plaster 
to have a, a feeling of space technology or outer space. So they have these orbital shapes. And then working with our lighting designer, all the lighting kind of invokes that idea of space or outer space sensibility. Behind this commitment to the ceiling details, consultant coordination became even more critical to avoid tarnishing the investment. That's where the craft of architecture comes in that takes all the time. It's easy to make something that looks like an orbit and we're going to light it and paint it blue and all of this, but then making sure that all the drivers for the lighting are located in an accessible ceiling next door, making sure all of your VAV boxes or your valves to all your air conditioning and plumbing are not above it because you don't want to have access. We didn't want to have access panels in this beautiful ceiling. So it took a tremendous amount of time coordinating with our consulting engineers to make sure that we located everything that needed access in adjacent spaces that would have accessible ceilings. This level of detail, attention, and care is displayed throughout the building. One remaining directive for ICON 5 was to minimize energy usage. While the building is not LEED certified, it is designed to meet a minimum of LEED silver standards. We were trying to do all we could to reduce energy consumption. This is a building that's in cooling all year long. It's in Florida. We made it out of glass. So that whole reduction of heat gain was important to them. Reducing the heat gain was important to them. And we had to prove it to the board, believe it or not. There is a, um, a 200-foot skylight right down the middle of the building, and you can see it on the images, that allow the students in the building to always get view of the sky. But the board said, you know, this is Florida. This isn't New York. And we have more sunny days than, than cloudy days. And this seems like a bad idea. But we like the idea. You got to ensure and make sure that we can somehow not make an oven inside this building. So we then embarked on doing lots of research and to the point of actually having to take our clients on two separate visits at other places in the United States that had all glass roofs. This is not an all glass roof, but there's a significant portion of it that did it with ceramic and reflective glass technologies in reducing the heat gain. We also built an on-site mock-up during construction and brought the entire, literally brought the entire board of trustees underneath this mock-up on a sunny day with their laptops to make sure everybody was comfortable, and they were. That was one sustainable feature that required lots of effort. The other one was the collecting of rainwater, because they also get lots of rain in Florida besides lots of sun. We collected all the rain off the roof and put them in cisterns under the front lawn or under the green quad that's in front of the building, and that rainwater is used for irrigation on the campus. Now, as I've said before, construction is where the rubber meets the road. For instance, the breathtaking 200-foot arching skylight that Joe described also brought its share of challenges, providing a heart-pounding moment during construction. 
So we talked about the glass skylight on top of the building, and it's not flat and it's not sloped. It's actually curving in two directions. So the, the shape of the roof of the building is like an orange peel or like a quarter of a football, if you took a football quarter. So it's actually curving in two directions. Glass doesn't curve. We didn't buy radial glass. So in order to do this, we ended up making each segment a triangle. And the triangles went all together along the radius in both directions and were fitted together. And it all worked fine on paper. And then again, in shop drawings, it appeared to be fine. And the shop drawings and the structural steel had to be coordinated perfectly because beneath each of the skylight systems, there was a structural tube. And when we looked at the shop drawing, they all looked fine, but we were only looking at it in one direction, unfortunately. So when the tubes were installed, they were installed the way they were supposed to be. But the glass was manufactured in advance of everything. And when we finally figured out in the shop drawing of the structural tubes, we were off about an inch and a half at the end. So some of the tubes had to be uninstalled, which we were able to do, and reshifted in order to make up that inch and a half. I mean, it's crazy that it was only an inch and a half. But everything had to align perfectly in order for us to have closure on two sides of that arcing form. So that was probably the biggest, most nerve-wracking, upset stomach moment. I know I made it sound like it wasn't a big deal, but believe me, it was a big deal. Like, oh my God, all the glass is done, made, and we we have an inch and a half gap at the roof. (laughs) In another case, Rodney shared the owner perspective and price tag on a separate and unexpected hurdle. One other hurdle that we had to overcome, probably about 30 days before the facility was open, we had a 99 cent copper elbow break on the second floor, and it did about $1.4 million worth of damage. While the malfunctioning minor 99 cent copper elbow fitting delayed the opening of the facility, the team rallied to make the building even better. Now, the Mori Hosseini Student Union stands as a testament to vision and collaboration, receiving numerous awards in admiration from visitors, students, the university community, and administration alike. We're really proud of the building. We're obviously proud of the chairman who the building is named after Mori Hosseini. And what I can tell you is, is that Joe and Arvin help bring that building to life in a very thoughtful way. And, you know, as an institution, we couldn't be more proud of that building. Students love it. People that come vacation to the area, they'll pull in and take a picture of the building. Um, So it's a lot of fun for us. Before we close out this episode, I always try to gain some additional insight from our guests about the greater industry. As a CSI fellow, an avid participant in various association events, I've noticed a decline in participation and attendance at industry professional organizations. With Joe being a fellow of the American Institute of Architects, I was curious about his perspective and insights on the trend. I think the reason it's waning is that people are asking the wrong question, which is, 
what do I get out of it? And you do get things out of it for sure. But the real question, and and, and I don't know how, how we convince people of this, but this is what I tell younger people in my office is those industries exist to have a collective voice for the industry. And if there is not a collective voice that represents architects like the American Institute of Architects, for example, there are already lots of other industries that will rush in and won't protect your interest. So belonging to them and being a participant at whatever level you're comfortable in is important, I think, just for that reason alone. Now, you do learn a lot of things. I mean, going to the conventions or just the the local meetings, there's always interesting people speaking that you do learn things from. And you'll get credit for what you need in order to keep your licensing and all of that, which is, you know, an added benefit or a lot of times it's a pain in the, you know, rear because it takes time to do it, but you do learn things from it. But I, I actually think the most important thing about that is that it, you belong in order to have that collective voice. And as it dwindles, that voice becomes weaker and that's not good. I especially enjoyed this conversation with Joe. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world, on your path to world domination. You know, this this statement changes with time and age, of course, right? You know, maybe 10 years ago. I probably would have said something like, I hope that the buildings I'm involved in or the built environments that I'm creating with my teams offer many years of happiness and satisfaction to all the people that use them for as long as they're around. That would have been my world domination statement, but I think my statement is actually probably now changed a little bit that, and I think it's more about knowing that you know this icon 5 myself and my partners you know we created this firm 20 years ago and i think the way i would you know like to think that we had an impact probably has more to do with the people that have come in here and that have shared their talents and their creativity in making those places that are out there that somehow we made a place that you know, I don't know how many people have been here in 20 years, but that all those people found a, a place that they could personally grow and in the process of that, leave great built environments wherever we worked. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening, 
We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.